Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. Welcome to Marcast, the marketing magazine podcast series. One-on-one discussions with some of Australia's sharpest marketing minds. I'm Ben Ice, editor at Marketing Magazine, and I'm proud to bring you part two of Dave's chat with Sarah Murdoch, Global Marketing Director at Jerleek. This time, Sarah shares a lot about her experience working in China, how that market differs, and the lessons she learned there and how it informs her marketing today. They also touch on things like what makes a good marketer today, the craft and science of marketing, and one brand with a pretty poor reputation worldwide that's doing amazing things in China. We hope you enjoy it, and as always, thank you for listening to Marcast. You've talked and we've explored a lot about the global, local balance and the importance of that to your business. I wanted to talk specifically um, for a moment about China. I know it's a market in which you've previously worked yourself. It's clearly a huge global market. It's driving a lot of the global economy. Can you talk a little bit specifically about Jalik's work in in China specifically and what you're doing there and, and some insights perhaps that would be of interest to other brands or marketers looking at China as a market? Absolutely. So Jalik has been in the China market now for approximately 10 years. So we've really played in that market as, a, as an international brand in that market for quite some time. And what I will say is that the Chinese consumer couldn't be more different from the Australian consumer and for that to that point, most other consumers around the world. Uh, so as you mentioned, I lived in China for a, a couple of years, a few years back, and that experience for me was just absolutely incredible. Uh, being on the ground in that market allowed me to really truly understand just how different the Chinese consumer is to anyone else that we've ever marketed to in the past. So our ambition for Jolik in China is significant and it is one of our focus markets and will continue to be into the future uh, as per most of the other you know, brands both within our competitive space and outside. For us, the way that we market the Jolik brand in China is also quite different in many ways to how we market the Jolik brand in other markets. So there is definitely a level of consistency in terms of identity uh, and the way that we communicate about who Jolik is, where we're from, what our points of difference are. But the way that the local Chinese marketing team activate the Jolik brand in China is very different. So we have the obvious differences of uh, e-commerce and social media. We have big players in that market like Tmall and JD.com, who we've partnered with for a number of years now. And then we have social media and channels like WeChat and Weibo that are really absolutely incredible uh, tools as a marketer to use to connect to consumers. And the way that we do that at Jalik is very different to the way that we would activate our brand in Western social media channels like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. So in many ways... In China, we really have a very specific marketing plan and strategy that is very unique to the rest of the world while ensuring that it's consistent with the brand positioning and stories that we have to share. The story's always central and core, but the the way you deliver that message is very different in China. Absolutely. 
I know you're a big fan, as am I, of How I Built This. Yes. Um, oh, do you have a favourite episode? Oh, well, I... I, I don't know. I don't, I can't, it's hard to choose, but I listened to Elon Musk recently. That was pretty fascinating. He's a pretty wild guy. He is. He's <laughs> a wild guy. I was listening to, to the episode with Emily Weiss from Glossier. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know, have you heard, have you heard that episode? Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's two things that, um, I was interested in from that discussion that I, I thought I'd run past you. One is the, she talks about the, the insight um, she gains from her direct-to-customer model um, and that the ability for that brand to focus purely on the consumer and not have to worry about um, satisfying the retail channel. And I, I just wondered um, if you had, through your experience with Julie, you know, does that resonate with you? Can you see how that's working for her but it's not such a global phenomenon? What, what, do you have any views on that? Yeah, so in terms of uh, what she's been able to achieve in is firstly incredible. It's a pretty fascinating brand and one that has just absolutely hit the global market with speed and you know impressive uh, activation and technology, which is fantastic. Um, so it's definitely interesting to watch as both a player in the skincare and also colour cosmetics market, uh, which is always interesting. She definitely has a fantastic advantage in that she can communicate with her customers directly. And uh, for Jerlique, our business is definitely a retail heavy business and retail is absolutely core for us. Interestingly for us, we don't see retail necessarily as a hindrance. We see it as an opportunity to provide incredible brand experiences to our customers in the environment that they're shopping in. Uh, So uh, while in some ways, indirect retail, so through our department store partners, our wholesalers, our stockists, etc., cetera, uh, provides a level of, in some ways, disconnect to the customer. We really ensure that the customer doesn't feel that and we work with our partners and our, uh, you know, our customers from a trade point of view to ensure that we work together to deliver a customer experience where the customer doesn't necessarily feel disconnected from the brand. We have CRM systems in place that allow us to communicate to the customer directly, regardless of where they shop. So it doesn't matter whether you shop at a Jolique concept store or a department store, or if you're shopping in Hong Kong or Australia, um, we have the capability to still very much communicate directly with them, which is fantastic. And we also work with them to really, and look at their purchase behaviour to really ensure that what we're doing from a communication point of view from us to them is relevant to them and that's really going to be quite a focus for us over the next few months as we aim to develop and improve our strategy uh, from a direct-to-consumer point of view and e-commerce. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're two different strategies. They're, they're, there's, there's not necessarily a need. It's not that it's a survival of one and, and you've got to go one direction. There's, there's different ways to gain customer insight. Mm, absolutely. Um, the other thing that in, w- w- that prompts me to think about that episode is, that, you know, the the future of retail versus e-commerce generally. And you, also, interestingly, you talked about China and the and the importance of platforms for transacting there. Setting China aside, in 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 markets such as Australia, where do you see transactional volumes going? Is there a move away from retail to to electronic commerce? Are they both? Are they both big, significant, long-term markets? What do we what do we feel about that? 
I feel like there are absolutely two markets that you need to play in uh, differently, but they work together. So for a skincare customer, a lot of research is done on either the brand or the product, the benefits of the product, recommendations, uh, reviews prior to going into store so that a customer can really understand the benefits of what they're going to purchase. And particularly for a product like Jalique where it's a premium product. So you're, as a customer, you're investing in that product and it's, a, you know, it's a lot of money for a lot of our customers. So the role of e-commerce is very much an educational role as well as a distribution channel for us. What we do find is that the retail channel for us is still very much the most, uh, the largest channel and it's the channel that allows us to connect not just with our customers from a sales point of view but it allows our customers to experience the product on their skin and e-commerce can't take away from that. So for a skincare brand, walking into store, being welcomed by a Jolique representative, being able to smell the incredible fragrance of our roses that are iconic to our brand as you walk into the store and be taken almost to the farm as a immersive experience and to put the product on your skin and to really trial the textures and the fragrances and the benefits of the product is something that is so critical to us as a brand that uh, we don't see retail in any way declining for us anytime soon. It's really a priority for us to ensure that our customers have that incredible experience. Let's chat about the day-to-day practice of doing marketing. We've got listeners who are starting out their careers. They might be um, they might be graduates. They might be looking for junior marketing roles. They might be. We've got a, a number of um, of agencies that that listen to the show. Maybe talk a little bit about um, how you work with and and what you're looking for in your in your team. People on the on the marketing team. Maybe we'll talk about that, and then we might talk about agencies, suppliers, and partners as well. So just tell us first, perhaps a little bit about what you're looking for in new employees. What what makes a good marketer is perhaps a nice place to start. Mm, good question. So I would say, firstly, one of the most important things as a marketer at Jolique. And what I'm looking for in my team is uh, that passion and that drive to really uh, make a difference and to uh, and creativity, I guess, is, is critical. Creativity not just from a creative campaign space but creative thinking is really important as a marketer to really uh, look at challenges and circumstances and market positioning, et cetera, um, in many different ways. Uh, to come up with new and interesting ideas. I guess a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit is what I'm talking about to uh, be able to think differently and to think about things from different perspectives. And then multitasking absolutely is one of the most important uh, parts of um, capability for the team. So in any one day, we could be talking to our agencies about a creative platform and work, working on how that's going to evolve over the next few months. We could be talking to our finance partners about the profitability of a promotional set. We could be talking to our local marketing teams about um, how we're going to be selling a particular product or franchise or campaign into trade partners. So the ability to switch and to use various different, I guess, parts of the brain as a marketer and to multitask and switch from one type of conversation to the other quite quickly is absolutely is absolutely key. And with all of that, I guess, comes resilience. Uh, you know, it, it's a, a, a challenging 
role and it's a challenging market. There are more competitors. Being part of a global brand team really means that you need to be resilient um, and uh, be able to take on feedback and to be able to build a strategy and sell that into all the various different stakeholders within and outside the business. I don't I don't get a strong impression of someone with a very narrow craft suite just sitting at their desk ploughing out functional work in one direction for eight hours a day. Absolutely not. It couldn't be more different. Yeah. A lot of communication, a lot of relationships. And then coming back to what we talked about earlier about the 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 need, the fact that it's changing as well and the the ability to be flexible and pivot and 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 move and and liaise with liaise with the different teams with the in market teams it's 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 constantly changing constantly changing constantly busy constantly shifting from one type of conversation to the other whether it's creative or financial market focused trade focused consumer focused um, and the ability to be able to uh, influence and negotiate at all of those different conversations is really important as a marketer how much how important is marketing education and or a marketing background to the kinds of roles that you're doing is there a large craft component could i could i join the jolique marketing team if i had a, a science background if i had a data background or if i had a arts background or do i need to i need to have, there's a basic marketing understanding that's essential ooh <laughs> Another good question. You're giving me the hard ones today. Uh, For me, I personally believe that uh, it's important to have diversity in the team Uh, and whether a team member has a degree in marketing or not is absolutely not the be-all and end-all. Experience, capability, personality, uh, as well as... uh, their ambition is also very important to the team. Uh, I didn't study marketing at university. I studied a Bachelor of Business at UTS and part of my degree, of course, was marketing as well as accounting and finance and all of the other elements of business, a business degree. So I definitely don't, I, I, would, say to, I would say to all those people that but, you know, might be thinking that Jolink might be a fantastic opportunity or place to work, then, you know, we definitely don't uh, exclude applicants to roles because they don't have a marketing degree. Absolutely not. Diversity for us is critical. And it, it, through diversity, we actually ena- are enabling our teams to challenge ideas and thoughts and come up with new ideas and, you know, open thinking. And your suppliers and partners, an important part of your in your complete team or or do they do they play a more minor role at Jalique is it large is marketing strategy and direction largely in-house staff or is it a mix we have a mix so we work with a number of various different partners suppliers consultants on a range of different um, topics sometimes it's uh, supporting our strategic direction sometimes it's obviously from a creative point of view uh, whether it's uh, within our local markets activation media buying uh, we really see our partners as an extension of our core team and uh, we work with them because they're experts in their field. You mentioned the agency's important from an expertise perspective. Is there a benefit in terms of the right skill set at the right time? Can you use as an agency a more flexible resource than a, than a permanent 
or contract employee, you can switch them on, bring them on for a short period of time when either there's a specific strategic need or just a workload demand. Absolutely. So we bring agencies uh, on for particular jobs and sometimes those jobs might be a two or three month project and sometimes they may be a, you know, one to two year strategic initiative or project. So it really depends at the time on uh, what our objectives are and what the ambitions are of the business and where we really need that expertise to come in and support the existing team. Um, and, And we work with a range of different partners like that. Biggest complaint about agencies, obviously not yours, who are all perfect and superb. Perfect. But in general, if agencies get something wrong, what is it? What's the sort of one thing they seem to consistently get wrong that you'd fix if you were running an agency? I guess there's always that constant, I guess, friction between agency and client and where that line is in terms of what's best for the brand. Uh, so uh, I think respect from the cl- from the brand or the client on the agency's capabilities and expertise is critical and the respect from the agency on the brand's direction and what's right and what's wrong for the brand is absolutely critical and that comes down to solid relationships um, being able to have those honest conversations and you know drawing the line perhaps you could say at what's right and what's what's not um, is really critical and that mutual respect from both sides I think is important because mm, I was going, my next question was going to be, what's the biggest client fault? But I think you've answered it. It's a two-way street. It's 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 res, res, mutual respect. Absolutely. Tell me if you can where you see marketing going. What's what's different about marketing now than it was when you started in a marketing role? What, what are some of the trends that we're seeing? What are the, some of the changes we're seeing in the in the world of marketing? Mm, I would say when I studied marketing, we learned about the four P's as most people do when you study marketing at university. Uh, I would definitely say that they have absolutely evolved since the four Ps. We probably need about 15 now. Uh, So that's really interesting. Um, And I think what's also really interesting and what will be critical over the next few years is to see where the world takes us with our artificial intelligence. That's a really interesting area for marketers. And as Uh, the ability to be able to use big data and personalise that big data to improve the connection and communication we have with our customers is going to be critical for success and uh, a key challenge for all of us out there as marketers in terms of how do we actually make it work. Um, That's going to be really interesting interesting and exciting in the years ahead. Perhaps I guess some people worry about big data and AI as a job replacement and does it put marketing roles at risk? You've talked, we talked earlier about science versus intuition and and I, I, I wonder, I imagine that, you know, there, there's a, that, that holds true here a little bit. Yes, it might change the nature of the work, but we're always going to need that marketing insight, the mind to take that data and do something with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. For me, I think uh, I, I'm a little bit of a traditional marketer, so I definitely feel that uh, it can enhance what we do as marketers and it will allow us to focus on 
the creative side of marketing and the communication. So it will it will make our lives easier because we won't have to do as much of that because the computers will be doing that for us and it will able, enable us as marketers to really focus on uh, the area that we need to, which is the communication and connection. Um, I was interested, you mentioned um, the four Ps and traditional marketing. I found myself um, digging out the Ansoff matrix for a work project recently um, existing products, existing markets, new products, new markets. I wondered, are there any sort of old school marketing models or lessons that you find yourself going back to time and time again? There are actually a lot of uh, various different models that I use from a leadership style point of view yeah. uh, and really guiding me, uh, I guess, almost like a toolkit on, you know, for various different um, situations that either have arisen or may arise in the future um, that I think are really interesting. But from a marketing point of view, uh, I, I would say nothing comes to mind at the moment. Let's talk a little about Sarah, less about, a bit about work, but tell us about your journey, um, a little bit about your career, defining moments and experiences. Mm. Well, I studied a Bachelor of Business at UTS. I grew up here in Sydney and uh, fairly soon after leaving university, I decided along with most of young Australians at that stage to move to London because it was what you did. So I moved over there for a couple of years and that's really where I started my marketing career working for De Beers Diamonds, which was pretty incredible. Not a bad place to start. Might as well start at the top. (laughs) Diamonds. Absolutely. And it was purely through a a temp role that actually ended up becoming more of a semi-permanent role. So it was pretty pretty spectacular. Uh, After... My visa finished and obviously I wasn't too highly skilled at that point in my career. So unfortunately I had to leave London and so I came back to Sydney. And uh, when I got back to Sydney, I actually worked at L'Oreal in their luxury division for about five years uh, on a number of different brands in their um, luxury division, building those brands and actually launching one brand, Shuomura, into the Australian market, which was a lot of fun. During my time at L'Oreal, I moved to Melbourne Uh, which uh, was a really exciting opportunity uh, when they moved the office actually from Sydney to Melbourne. Initially, I thought, gosh, why would I want to go and live in Melbourne? It's cold, it's grey, it's rainy. But, you know, obviously I got there and loved it because I spent about four years there and it was an awesome time of uh, my life and my career. While I was down there, I actually decided that uh, I wanted to get some more experience out of the cosmetics industry and uh, so spent about five years at Treasury Wine Estates. Treasury Wine Estates are best known for a number of their key brands, but predominantly Penfolds. And I was lucky enough with while I was working at Penfolds to be asked to go to China on a three-month secondment, which at the time I, I'll never forget that day because the day that I was asked, Simon, who was the chief marketing officer at the time, called a meeting with me and said, We'd really like you to go to China, go home, think about it, come back on Monday and let me know if you want to go. And by the way, we need you there in two weeks. So that was pretty wild. So I uh, went home thinking there's no way I'm going to China. Why would I want to leave Melbourne? It's such an awesome place. And by Sunday, all my family and friends had convinced me that I'm crazy and I should go for three months. And that three months uh, became a uh, almost two-year incredible experience uh, over in China, which 
to be honest, uh, even till today was just the most challenging but rewarding time of my career to date. And uh, I absolutely loved it there. It really, I guess, catapulted my experience and marketing skill set. I, I really, I look back on it with such fond memories even today. So after two years in China, I, I was pretty sick of it. It's pretty, it's a pretty crazy place and quite challenging as a foreigner. So I decided to move home and I've been home now for two years working in Jolique. A couple of five-year campaigns there. Is that strategic or is that just happenstance? Is, it, is that a good time to be at an organisation and, and looking for a move or is that just the way it worked out for you? It actually was just the way it worked out for me. Uh, there was absolutely no strategy in that at all. Uh, it really, for me, those moves uh, really were either at a time where I was either sent overseas or elsewhere, or I wanted to continue my develop my own personal development and challenge myself in new opportunities and experiences either outside of, away from the category I was working in or in a different industry. It just really ended up that way. I'd planned on asking you whether you would recommend an experience such as China to someone, but I feel a bit silly asking that question now because I know your answer. Oh, well, in case anyone missed it, I would say absolutely go for it. It's It was very daunting for me and a really tough decision because I'd never been to China and hadn't really travelled much throughout Asia. But China is the most incredible market, from not just from a marketing point of view, but in terms of uh, really a market where... Um, worlds collide and where entrepreneurialism and speed to market is absolutely critical to success. So for any marketer wanting to challenge themselves and to build their career, I would say without doubt, go for it. It's amazing. I have six questions and you have 60 seconds to answer them. Question one, a brand really getting it right? It pains me to say this, but I think Starbucks right now is a brand particularly in China that's getting it right. And someone getting it wrong? Tiger Air, from a customer experience point of view, absolutely. Favourite marketing campaign or strategy? Could be an all-time fave or a recent standout, something that's really impressed you? Oh, something in the last 12 months has, has definitely be, been Tourism Australia's campaign for the Super Bowl. I think that surprised us all and that was pretty amazing to see uh, Dundee back on the screens again. That was pretty fun. Biggest change in marketing in the last few years? Definitely AI. Is there a leading marketing practitioner or a writer or a blogger or a thinker or a mentor, someone that's inspired you and shaped your approach to marketing? Ooh, as a mentor, I would definitely say that I had a, uh, a recent manager who uh, I definitely looked up to as a very experienced marketer in the industry. She believed in me. She gave me the confidence to, I guess, challenge the norm. And her leadership style was very empathetic as well as very um, focused. So Andrea is definitely a mentor for me, absolutely. Marketing in just a few words. Curiosity and creativity. Tell me about Starbucks, a brand that you really admire and think's getting it right, especially in China. Mm, so uh, it pains me to say Starbucks because I'm a coffee drinker and I live on coffee. I love it. And Starbucks traditionally has been a brand that, you know, obviously, you know, fast coffee is definitely not real artisan. coffee. Yeah, real coffee in my in my view, in my personal view anyway. 
what they're doing in China is very different to what they're doing in the rest of the world and it's fascinating. So they're really starting to capture the attention of a Chinese market who, for as long as we can all remember, have been tea drinkers and change their cultural behaviour by providing spaces where people can actually meet and engage with each other and interact in a Starbucks environment. So that's very different to what you would see in Starbucks in the US, for example, uh, but it really uh, shows how incredibly particular they are on aligning their global brand that looks and feels the same in China and the US with the local market and the cultural nuances between them, which is just, you know, really exciting and fascinating to see. So not interesting per se, but then also interesting in for you given the challenge uh, you have around global versus local and it's a good case study for you think for someone who's getting that balance right. Absolutely, 100%. It's, and for anyone who uh, visits the China market, I would encourage them to go to the Starbucks in Shanghai. It is a brand experience that I have never experienced before. It's just so impressive. It's amazing. And a great example of that localization of a global brand. I think another thing that strikes me um, after this chat today is we, we should have been sponsored by a, an airline or something because anyone listening to this wants to get over to China, right? It just sounds <laughs> like there is so much interesting stuff mm. happening there that if we're serious about marketing or business, we need to be, we need to have a, have a look at it. Absolutely. It's, you know, where such an incredible amount of growth is going to come from in the years ahead. And the way in which that country is changing and the speed that they're changing at is just like nothing I've ever seen before. So it's exciting, it's daunting, but you really need to be there and get there get there to see it, to believe it. Sarah Murdoch, I loved the chat. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Sarah Murdoch for giving up her time to appear on MarCast. Next episode, Dave speaks with Amanda McMillan, customer marketing lead at New Farm. The chat was a great foray into the world of B2B marketing with a big agribusiness brand. That one's coming soon. Anyway, thanks for listening to Marcast. And don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast if you like it. Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, Download the Hayes Report, DNA of a Marketing Director, at hayes.com.au.